0: God bless you guys. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I want to, uh, before we get into the Word, we've been in the study of uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, before we get there, I just want to ask the, the Lord's blessing upon the reading and the hearing of the Word this morning. Father, we, we just thank you for life. We thank you for life itself. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have come to give us life and come to give it to us more abundantly. Lord, we ask that uh, the power of your Holy Spirit would just overshadow this place right now. Captivate our hearts and our minds, Lord, we uh, would stand against anything that would distract us or hinder us from hearing your word. Father, we know in the parable of the sower, um, your word says the first thing that happens when the word is sown, that the enemy comes and tries to steal the word. But we ask, Father, that you would protect the word this morning, that you would let it fall on fertile soil, and that, Lord, that your word would spring forth and bring forth a harvest in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So um, I'm I'm not trying to do an in-depth study in the book of Revelation, but what I am trying to do is introduce you to the book so that, uh, you know, we uh, have a tendency to avoid this book like a plague, in fact, like 21 plagues uh, that are mentioned in the book, and so uh, it can be a little confusing with signs and symbols and, um, um, you know, just uh, different words, uh, you know, in one place, uh, one word, an angel will mean an angel and another place, the same word will mean the pastor or the overseer of a church. Uh, in another place, it will mean a, a godly angel and in another place, it means a fallen angel. So, um you know, trying to understand the symbolism of the book and then also the timeline, I've also noticed it's a really important uh, thing for us to just keep in mind as you're going through. uh, Sometimes it runs in a chronological order, just like straight through. And then all of a sudden John will stop and he'll either go back or he'll spend some extra time. Or sometimes in the middle of the book, he'll flash forward all the way to the end of the book and beyond the end of the book. And so, all of these things, if unless you're tracking, it can become very confusing. But uh, having said that, I want to start uh, because I, I believe, uh, and, and my belief, and you know, as I mentioned last week. There are a number of beliefs about the rapture. Some people believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation period. Some people believe that it happens in the middle of the tribulation period. Some people believe that it happens after the tribulation. And uh, regardless of what you believe regarding that, uh, none of that, none of, what, what you believe about that does not determine, have, doesn't have anything to do with your salvation or my salvation. Um, I mean, we are saved by believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He came to this earth as the Son of God, He died for our sins, He rose from the grave, and through Him, we, through faith in Him, we have eternal life. And so, I want to just explain to you, first of all, um, a, what I believe is a biblical principle for why um, God delivers the church prior to the tribulation period. Uh, the tribu- tribulation period is called the uh, the, the last week or the, the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel talks about 69 weeks, and um, that's uh, calculated into years, is uh, 483 years. But there's a missing week, and uh, it's all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, where is this last week? And then the prophets begin to tell us, um, In uh, the book of Jeremiah, for example, he says there's coming a time of Jacob's trouble. Um, It's a a tribulation period, not just for Jews, but the primary reason for the tribulation is to get Jews to repent and to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it is also the wrath of God upon an unbelieving world, and he's given them Time and time and time again to repent and come to this uh, repent and re, and turn from their sins. So, <clears throat> starting all the way back in the book of Genesis, and I'm gonna uh, Nina talked about uh, Beth Moore moving fast. Um, I am going to leave Beth Moore in the dust this morning. <laughs> so, so hang on, okay? I mean, we're moving fast. You know, she also talked about. I don't know if she's here. Yeah, there you are. Yeah, we're talking about. My, uh, my mom and the tombstone, and uh, you know, I, I, I go to Denver, we're a year into this thing for this transplant, and she keeps saying, you know, I just, I am not convinced that you need a transplant. I, I said, you know what, you can just write on my tombstone, he really did need a transplant. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, man, every doctor and nurse and, you know, uh, lab check and everybody else that said, hey, eventually you're going to need a transplant. You're like, I don't know if I still believe that or not. I said, all right, well, just put that on my tombstone. He did really need one. Um, All right, from Exodus chapter 4, moving Moses and Aaron told them everything. This is after Moses comes back from the wilderness. Moses, and he's speaking to the children of Israel. He's about to stand before Pharaoh doing all of these signs and wonders. And it says that he performed the signs before the people. And they believed. him. when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, that's something that some of you need to hear this morning, that God is concerned about you and what you're going through, your plight, you know, your finances, your marriage, your relationship, your job you know, um, your children, uh, just life in general. You know, Bob, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and came to give it to us more abundantly. But God is concerned about what you're going through, transitions that you're going through, what school do you go through. God's concerned. Everything that, you know, is on your heart, God's concerned about it. It says, and when they heard that God was concerned about uh, them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped God. And then we see right here a Separation. And uh, I just want you to notice this because uh, we're going to look at this in the book of Revelation in just a moment. It says the uh, house of the Egyptians will be full of flies; even the ground will be covered with them. But on the day that I de- on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. That's where the children of Israel lived. It says no sw- no swarm of flies will be there, and you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land, and I will make a distinction between my people and your people. And then we read again, it says that the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And the Lord set a time and said tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land and the next day the Lord did it. And all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but the uh, ones, uh, the animals that belonged to the Israelites didn't. And then the Lord rained hail on Egypt. And hail fell like lightning, and lightning flashed back and forth. And it was the worst storm in all of the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout the, uh, Egypt, hail struck everything in the field, both people and animals. It beat down everything that grows in the fields and stripped every, tr- every tree. The only place that it did not hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. And the Pharaoh's officers or officials finally come to him and said, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that everything in Egypt is ruined? And so when we look at these plagues that are falling in the book of Revelation, we look at the seal plagues, which we talked about last week. There were seven seal plagues. And, and just kind of an interesting note, just so you can kind of keep it in mind, the, the seventh seal plague is the beginning of the trumpet plagues, and the seventh trumpet plague is the beginning of the bowls or the cup uh, um, uh, plagues, and so, um, and then, you know, we see, we see this total destruction coming over the face of the earth, which we'll read here in just a moment, and then it says in Exodus chapter 10, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, darkness fell and covered all of Egypt for three days, no one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And so you can see this distinction that God puts between His people, the people that love Him and honor Him, and the people of the world. And then the Lord talks about how He will pass uh, through Egypt, and He will strike, strike down the firstborn of both people and animals and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, um, He says, but on the house where He sees the blood he will pass over, which is where we get the name or the word Passover, the feast Passover, where the Jewish uh, people get it. And God will pass over and protect his people, those that have put their faith and trust in him. And then in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this last week, God did not appoint us believers to suffer wrath. That's talking about the wrath, this, uh, this coming wrath of the, uh, of the tribulation. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, he died for us so that whether we are awake or whether we're asleep, we will live together with him. And then we read the special little blessing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says, if you read this prophecy, and I'm going to remind you of this. If you read this prophecy aloud to the church, you will receive a special blessing that's talking about me. You will receive a special blessing from the Lord and those that's listening, that's talking about you, those who listen to it being read and does what it says will also be blessed for the time is near when these things will all come true. That was written over 2,000 years ago. We're 2,000 years closer to that time being near than it was when John um, wrote this and when it was revealed to him. Last week we talked about the seven seals and uh, we talked about... Uh, the the first seal uh, being the white horse, the second seal being the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, and uh, kind of moved through those and just talked about not focusing so much on the, uh, this is where that, uh, you know, that the interpretation of trying to figure out what he's talking about. It's not so much the horse that he was talking about, you know, just think about the horse as a, a, transition, a transition or an instrument to go from one place to another or from one, one time period to another or from one plague to another. But the symbolism was really in the color of the horses. The white horse represented peace. Uh, this, the Bible says that, that when this Antichrist comes that he will be called a man of peace and they will say peace, peace, but then sudden destruction will come upon the land. The second horse was uh, a red horse and it said that the rider carried a, a large sword which indicated indicated that there would be war and a lot of bloodshed. The black horse represented death and um, uh, and plagues and, and diseases and the uh, the fourth uh, horse was a pale horse, which represented, um, uh, death and Hades, uh, or, um, uh, when we talked about Hades being the place of the unbelieving souls where they were, where they were kept, uh, where unbelieving souls were kept until the day of judgment, um, and then there's an interesting statement that you know we kind of uh, talked about a little bit last week uh, but John sees he goes from the horses to the fifth seal and he says under the altar he says the souls of those had been slain for the word of God and the testimony he says that he saw under the altar he's talking about in heaven he goes from you know God says I want you to look at the earth and he sees those four horses and then he says now I want you to come back to heaven and although he's not leaving, he's just, you know, you know ca- casting his vision in a different direction. He said, now I want you to look under the altar of God. Right here in heaven, look under the altar of God. And he says, well, tell me what you see. And he says that he saw uh, the, the souls. Now, keep in mind that we are made up of a body, soul, and a spirit. So he just saw the souls, not the body and the spirit, of those that had been slain for the testimony. I'll, get, I'll cover that more in, in more depth in just a moment. And they cried with a loud voice. These souls are crying with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while, uh, a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who would be killed during this tribulation period was completed. That was the fifth seal. And then the sixth seal, the sun becomes black. We talked about that. That's what... uh, um, Peter talked about in Acts chapter 2 when he's talking about the, uh, the prophecy of the prophet Joel. The sun will become black as sackcloth of hair and the moon will become like blood and the stars fell, to, uh, fell from heaven to earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind and the sky receded. And this was talking about a very interesting point because when the sky recedes and then it says that all of the kings of the earth and all of the great men and all the rich men and all the commanders and all the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves in the rocks and the mountains and said to the rocks and the mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand. And so in a moment when the sky recedes like a scroll, the sky is just like rolled up and everybody on the face of the earth at the same time is able to look up and see where John is. John is in the throne room with God, and they see him that's sitting on the throne, and the Lamb, very interesting the way that they describe this because it's exactly how it is, God the Father sitting on the throne, and the Lamb to his right side, and it says that everybody on the face of the earth, no matter whether you're great or small, rich or, or poor, uh, a slave or free man, everyone was able to see this in the entire world. And so that kind of like uh, wraps up the sixth seal. 20, at this point, 25% of the world is destroyed. 25%, I had a map that showed 25% of the world's population is destroyed. And about 25% of the entire world is destroyed. And so... The seal judgment stops short of the seventh judgment, and and John says that you know I mean John John goes back and he's thinking, and the Holy Spirit is knowing what you're thinking, that if a uh, if if the rapture if the rapture comes and takes up all of the believers, and the Holy Spirit is not on the earth anymore then where, do these, where does the salvation of these souls come from that are under the altar? How did they get saved? And so that's probably a question that may be going on in your mind right now, um, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And so we begin in Revelation chapter 7, and it says, And after these things, uh, I saw, you know, John is saying, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, Or the sea, or on any tree. Now, I want you to imagine that for just a moment, because you can see every evening when you watch the evening news, you will watch these storms that are developing either on the east coast or the west coast, and especially uh, storms like hurricanes. You'll see this huge cloud that's out, you know, in the ocean, or whether it's just a rainstorm that's developing on the west coast. Typically, we get our rain from the west coast, and you'll see these clouds that are forming. And uh, you'll see the blue body of water. And it's the wind that brings these clouds over, uh, taking the moisture from the ocean. And the wind's blowing that over the earth and depositing rain in our mountains. And it's where we get all of our water from. And so God is saying that I've got four angels that are going to hold the four winds of the earth. And the wind is not going to blow anymore. If the wind does not blow anymore, there is no more moisture. There is no more rain and we enter into this time of great drought and famine and sickness and disease and all of those things that follow. And he says, he says, I saw this. He says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed "...the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel have sealed." I you know, whether you've been in church or not been in church, you probably have heard that. You've probably heard that number. And, I mean, there are many cults out there, non-Christian cults, that claim today Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those. They believe that they are part of the 144,000. I was encountered by a lady at a gas station once who uh, told me that she was a Jehovah's Witness and wanted to tell me about... You know, that she was one of the 144,000. I said, well, that's really interesting. Let's talk about it for a moment. And so I said, number one, the Bible says that the 144,000 are all Jews. I said, are you a Jew? No, I'm not. I said, the uh, Bible says that the 144,000 are all men. Are you a man? No, obviously you're not. The Bible says that the 144,000 are all virgins. I said, do you have children? Yes, I do. Obviously, you're not a virgin. All right, so you don't qualify. You don't qualify. If you're not a Jew, if you're not a virgin, if you're not a man, if you're not from the, it's very specific. And so this is how we get, you know, just kind of totally off base and, and, um, and we create a, a, a book that God really wants us to read and understand. Um, we make it complicated. And then he goes ahead and he reads those that were sealed. And I, I think it's very interesting. God is very specific with numbers. And, uh, you know, it's not like uh, about. He's very specific. He says 12,000. When God says 12,000, he means 12,000. And so he says, twelve thousand from the tribe of Judah were sealed, and twelve from Reuben, twelve thousand were sealed. Gad, twelve thousand were sealed. Asher, twelve thousand were sealed. Naphtali, twelve thousand were sealed. Manasseh, twelve thousand were sealed. Uh, Simeon, twelve thousand were sealed. Levi, twelve thousand were sealed. Issachar, twelve thousand were sealed. Joseph, twelve thousand were sealed, and from Benjamin. Twelve thousand were sealed. Now I know if you're a good Bible student, you're saying, you're thinking right now there's somebody missing, and that's Dan. Why is Dan missing? Um, well, you know, I mean, th- you know, this these numbers come up, uh, and the twelve thousand are that come up many, many times in the in the Bible. You can read it in Genesis chapter, um, I think it's in chapter forty-nine. You can read it in Numbers chapter one. Talks about you know the twelve thousand, and occasionally the names are changed. Remember that when. Um, Joseph uh, was standing before Jacob. His two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, um, got the blessing, and they were brought into the 12 tribes. And so, in reality, you know, there's not just 12 tribes. There will be 13 tribes. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and he has a temple, the tribe of Levi will be there continually, day and night in the temple, and 12 tribes will be outside of that. And so, this incredible, uh, the Shekinah well, let me just give you an example of this, of others. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 9, uh, it says, listen to this. I mean, you, might, you may think it's, they're, they're being sealed in their forehead. They've got the seal of God in their forehead. But in Ezekiel chapter 9, it says, The Shekinah glory and brilliance of God... It says, the God of Israel, the cloud went up from the cherubim on which it had rested to stand above the threshold of the Lord's temple. And the Lord called a man clothed with linen and said, who had a scribe's writing case uh, by his side. And the Lord said to him, Go out, go throughout the midst of the city, throughout all of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men whose who who sigh in distress and grieve over the the repulsive acts which are being committed in it. But to the others I heard him say, follow the man with the scribes' writing case throughout the city and strike down those that do not have the seal upon their head. That's exactly what's happening in the book of Revelation. Those that have a seal upon them, the seal of God, are protected. They are not protected from death. Many of them, you know, all of them will eventually die, but they are protected from some of the plagues that are coming up. And then he says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number of all the tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell to their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, and blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. And it says, And then one of the elders answered and said to me, who are these, now get this, I mean, everybody is there, and one of the angels, or it says one of the elders, answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And John, just like you and I, when we don't know the answer, uh, we don't want to stand out as those that don't know the answer, he says, sir, you know, you know. And then he says, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. So let me just say that when we are, let me back up and just bring some clarity to this for you. Right now, when we start the seal judgments and when we, when we start the trumpet judgments, we are just about in the middle of the tribulation period. Which is the three and the tribulation period is seven years, so we're about three and a half years into the tribulation period. Okay, not quite mid mid trib yet, but almost there. But John and God kind of fast forwards. Okay, taking John all the way to the end of the book, to the end of the tribulation, to the past the return of Christ, standing where everyone is standing They Remember the souls; they were souls; they didn't have bodies, but now. Right now, they do. They're standing there. It says, let me, let me just back up. I want you to, you got to see this. It says, and uh, he says, I saw nations and tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hand, crying out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God. And then he says, the elder says to him, um, Who are these arrayed in the white robes and where did they come from? And he said, Sir, you know. And he says, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. The tribulation is divided into two parts. The first part is just called the tribulation period. But in Matthew chapter 24, when uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by Daniel the prophet, you know, in the great tribulation period, that's midway through the tribulation. So halfway through, the Antichrist shows up into the temple of God and, you know, proclaims himself to be God. So these are the ones that have come through. They've already gone through the tribulation period. They've given their lives in the great tribulation period. And it says they have washed their robes and they've made them white. So there's a little fast forward there. But so the question is for us today is that, you know, how do these guys get saved? If the church is gone before the tribulation starts and, the Holy Spirit has taken the church out and presented the church, the body of Christ, it's the bride of Christ, you know, presented the bride of Christ to the Lord in heaven, then how did these people get saved? Well, the answer is that the Holy Spirit, after delivering the bride of Christ to, to uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes back. And then the Holy Spirit seals, the Holy Spirit seals these, Hundred and forty-four thousand. Okay, and starts a brand new work. Remember that. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he says that salvation begins with the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. It has to be. It has to. I mean, it has to be of the Jews. I mean, the all of the prophets were Jewish. All of the apostles were were Jewish. The disciples were Jews. Uh, Jesus himself was Jewish. And so, salvation begins with Jews. And he starts with 144,000. He's starting with 144,000 and seals them with his seal. And then they go out and they begin to evangelize. And that explains why that there were some, that this actually happens at the beginning of the tribulation period. And that's why you have those that are under the altar without bodies. There are souls that are under the altar crying out, Lord, do something. Take vengeance. You know, look what they did to us. Take vengeance and God's saying, calm down, just settle down just a little bit. I will, but there are a number of your brothers that have to go through the same kind of death that you went through. They have to die and, uh, and, and this time period be completed before it's all wrapped up. And that's about another three and a half years. And then God says that he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then he goes into the trumpets and we know that trumpets in those days and even today are used for the announcements with the announcements of kings. They were announcements for feast days. They were announcements for warnings. When King Solomon was anointed to be king of Israel, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39, it says, The priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet, they blew the trumpet, and all of the people said, Long live King Solomon. So these trumpet blasts that we're about to see are the announcing of the coming king Jesus. And he's already sitting on the throne. Everything that's happened so far, every seal that's been opened and every every result of the seal that's been opened has been the result of Jesus opening the seal. He opens the one seal, the white horse comes. Opens the second seal, the red horse comes. He opens the third seal, the black horse. Everything is under his command. He is taking authority as the king of kings and as the lord of lords. And so, and then also, I want you to just keep in mind that everything that we see in the book of Revelation, all of these plagues are intended uh, for many purposes. One is, uh, you know, um, you know the, the wrath of God, you know, to get people to turn from their wicked ways and turn back to God. But everything that's done, all of these plagues are, have one thing in mind, and that is to remind the people of something that has happened in their past. Now, think about it. You know, we're gonna, we read earlier last week uh, where uh, water was turned into blood. Well, I mean, when we think back about, you know, where that happened before, where did that happen? In, in, in Exodus, remember? You know, Moses shows up, you know, turns the water into blood. All right, and when, then we see uh, darkness come upon the land. Where did that happen before? In Exodus. It was dark for three and a half days, you know, in uh, in uh, Egypt. Uh, and, and so all of these things... Uh, you know, all of the different plagues, the plagues, hail, I mean, hail destroyed the land. And we see here, hail doing the same thing, destroying the land. Every one of these signs is a reminder for the Jews. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, I've heard this story someplace before. It's in my mind, where did this happen before? And they go back to a time, and they start to think about You know, yes, we were in bondage. Yes, we were in sin. But God loved us and He had mercy upon us. And He sent a deliverer and and delivered us out of our captivity and brought us to this promised land. And so all of these things are, are signs and wonders for the children of Israel that are going through the tribulation. And I'll move quickly through this and just about wrap this thing up, okay? And the first trumpet, the first trumpet, the vegetation is struck. It says, and the first angel sounded and hail and fire uh, followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. This is the first trumpet. The second trumpet blast, the sea is uh, struck. It says the second angel sounded, and something like, not a great mountain, okay? He didn't, he didn't say it was a great mountain. He said it was the best way that he could describe it. He said it looked like a great mountain. I don't know what that is. Well, I mean, we talked about this last week. You know, a great mountain was thrown into, to, uh, a, a mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and the third of the sea became blood. I mean, many of you have seen on TV, this, uh, a volcano in Hawaii is constantly flowing, and the lava is flowing into the, into the ocean there. It doesn't turn the ocean into blood. It doesn't turn it red. You know, uh, there's, something is different. It's not just a mountain that he saw. It looked like a mountain, um, but it wasn't really a mountain. You know, it possibly could have been a demon that, you know, that turned the water into blood. And it said a third of the living creatures that were in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet is blown, and the water is struck. This is talking about the fresh water. Uh, when the third angel sounded, a great star... All right, this is where we go back to our what we talked about how we interpret. And uh, remember, we just said that you know the interpretation is either in the in the text itself, in the greater body, in that chapter, in the book, or or somewhere in the Bible, it, usually the the interpretation will be found. He says that we know from uh, Revelation chapter one, when Jesus is standing in the middle of the golden candlesticks and it says, that he's in the middle of the golden st- candlesticks and he said that he's holding the seven stars in his hand and the seven stars were seven angels, okay? And so that is in one interpretation of a star. But we're not, we know, we know, I mean, if you're using common sense and you're using it in the context of what's going on, he says a great star fell from heaven. Well, we know that the stars in the heaven are bigger than the earth. And so a star cannot fall into the ocean, okay? I mean, they're, I mean, they're bright, burning balls of fire. And when they come, I mean, it could be, you know, a million miles out and burn us up. And it would never even reach the ocean. I mean, we'd be just torched. And it says, uh, a great star. So we, we know it's not really a star. Um, we know that it's not a, a planet. Um, and so, you know, what, what do we think about it? It says, you know, what, you know, what are falling stars? When the Bible talks about what the falling stars are, remember when Satan was thrown out of heaven and it said he swept a third of the stars from heaven. Did he really bring a third of the stars, the third of the planets? Or what was he talking about? He's talking about demons. He brought a third of these demonic spirits from heaven. And so he's talking about here a great star or a demonic spirit fell from heaven with like a burning torch and it fell on a third part of the river in the springs of water, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. There's not a Greek translation for that other than what is described here. It says a third of the water became wormwood and many died, many people died from the water because it was made bitter. That's just simply what it means. A fourth trumpet uh, uh, is blasted and the heavens are struck. And the fourth angel sounded and the third uh, the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that the third of them were darkened. And a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now think about that. Uh, a, a third of the day is blacked out. A third of the sun is blacked out. A third of the moon, obviously the moon is going to be blacked out if the sun is blacked out. And a third of the stars of heaven. So what does that create? That creates a drop in the temperatures. It causes what is called the nuclear winter. I mean, people are freezing now because there's not enough light, you know, to, you know, to warm the earth. And he says, and I looked and I heard an angel, some of your translations may say an eagle, flying through the mist of the heavens. And remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the Bible does, the Bible only has one name for heaven. Uh, It's the same name. So, there's a number placed in front of that name to distinguish between the heavens, the atmosphere, what we breathe, what you and I breathe, where the birds of the heavens fly in. And then the second heaven is the uh, where the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars are. And the third heaven is where God's throne is. That's what Paul was caught up to. He was caught up into the third heaven, as he says. He says, so, uh, he says that... Um, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the mist of the heaven, and this is talking about the second heaven. Well, we know that eagles don't fly. They can't, they can't get that high, okay? Um, they can't fly that high and survive. But the eagle is also speaking. So with, no, it's not, you know, just like, a, a, just like the same thing that John saw when he said it looked like a mountain. This looked like an eagle. It's something that probably had wings, and it's going around throughout the whole earth, earth surrounding the earth, saying with a loud voice, "Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of, inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of the trumpets and the three angels who were about to sound." Now, if you're in the business of evangelism, don't you think it would help you if you had an angel circling the earth saying, you know, you better get ready. You better repent because God's getting ready to fall upon this place, and it's time for you to repent, and time to repent is now. Don't you think that would help you? i would help me. I'd say, hey, if you're not listening to me, listen to him. I mean, he's saying it. He's saying repent. You know, that judgment time is near, and God's saying that still today. And so... Then we see a fifth trumpet that is blown, and these three woes, and and all of these plagues. Just keep in mind, they all have kind of like the same start and the same beginning. The first part of the plagues are directed toward the earth, and these attacks on the earth, upon the on the the water, upon the trees, upon the the grass, upon the fresh water, the the salt water, and then the remaining uh, plagues, whether they're seals or trumpets or. Our bowls of wrath are directed toward mankind. And so we see the same thing happening here. Here we begin. The first four of these trumpet blasts were directed toward the earth. And here comes the ones that are directed toward mankind. It says in the fifth trumpet, the locust from the bottomless pit. It says the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star again fall from heaven. Again, not a star. But the symbolism is this demonic spirit. Um was fallen to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now I want you to think about this. Uh, he opens the bottomless pit, and smoke arises out of the pit like smoke from a great furnace so that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. I want you to think about it like this. I think about a prisoner uh, that's locked up in a prison cell. And all of a sudden, he has a key as the key to every cell block. What's he going to do? He's going to go. He's going to go open every door that he possibly can and let out all of his friends. Okay, it says, uh, and so that's exactly what's happening here. One demon comes. He has the uh, key to the bottomless pit. He opens up the pit and he says, and they were commanded not to harm. Them. think about this. When locusts, you've seen locust plagues before. You've seen National Geographic. I mean, when they come through. They strip everything. In fact, the whole book of Job, first or, or Joel, uh, speaks about this. In the book of Joel, when uh, the uh, the plague comes, it talks about different types of locusts. Uh, they have a locust that strips the uh, the, the the leaves, and the, another one that strips the branches. And I mean, just goes through and just absolutely strips the land. Well, these locusts are different. It says they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree but only those men listen to this only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads and uh, they were not given authority to kill them but to torment them for five months this is talking about unbelievers these locusts have been given the power to torment for for uh, five months and it says, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death. This is the only time since the Garden of Eden that man has not been able to die. Okay? It says, in those days, they will strike a man, and, and uh, men will seek death, and they will desire it, and death will flee from them. They, you know, death just eludes them. I don't understand fully what that means. All I know is that they don't have the capacity they may want to die, they may be in so much pain that they want to die, but they won't have the ability to die and you know some of you may be thinking right now, you know what kind of God does that? What kind of God you know torments men and women for you know for five months? Why well, don't you to think about this second option, and that is. That if they don't come to a place of 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 repentance, that five months is nothing, because they're about to enter into an eternity of torment, where the Bible says that there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and pain, and they will too wish that they were dead, but they won't be able to die. And God is just saying, you know, I'm giving you one more chance. You know, I've I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to be nice, I've tried to be kind. Romans uh, one. And Two talk, talks about you know the goodness of God. It says the goodness of God brings men to a place of repentance. And while this does not look like the goodness of God, it really is the heart of God. It's just like you know I've done everything that I possibly could. You know, uh, you know, I, I you know I've taken away all all your privileges, took away the keys to the car. You know, put you in the timeout box. You know, I, I've done all of these things. You know that I could possibly do to you and you still won't listen. And all God's trying to do is just get men and women to repent and come to the place where they would put their faith and their hope in him. And then... um, Is that the... um, Okay, here we go. I lost it for a minute. Um, I I, I don't want to go... Too much into what these locusts were like, because I mean I I, I mean I've heard everything. Pe- people you could write books on what people try how people tried to identify these. You know I mean Apache uh, helicopters. You know uh, because John couldn't figure it out. We know that it comes from the the pit. The Greek word is the abyss. Uh, abuso is the Greek word. It means the abyss. It, it, you know, it's not anything natural. It's supernatural. It's, it's demonic. What's coming out of this pit is demonic. And they are released by God's authority. God, by God's authority. They've been held there for all of these years. Since the beginning of time, God has held them in this place. For this certain day and for this certain hour. And you'll remember Uh, In Luke's gospel, when Jesus meets this man that is so full of uh, demons, uh, Jesus asks him what his name is. And he says that his name is, is Legion because he says that we are many. And so they begged Jesus. They said, please do not send us to the pit, to the abuso Please do not send us to the abyss, but rather send us into this herd of swine. And so Jesus grants a request and releases them to the herd of swine. And the swine, uh, 2,000 of them, go over a cliff and kill themselves. They drown uh, in, the, uh, in, in the Sea of Galilee there. And it talks about their, their heads or tails and, you know, that uh, the power was in there uh, to hurt men for. Five months and uh, their their power was in their tail, Uh, and it says it says they um, they had a king over them that came out of the bottomless pit whose uh, Hebrew name was Abaddon, but his Greek name is Apollyon. Uh, in the Bible, the Bible says that you know that uh, there are two different groups of angels: there are the good angels, God's angels, and there are the demonic angels. And uh, you have names, uh, godly names of angels, like Gabriel's name means "man of God," or Michael's name means "who is like God." Um, but this, the, these words suggest uh, a baden and wormwood, just the description of these uh, of these demonic spirits. Now, I want you to. Just think with me, and just as I wrap this up, from Second Peter chapter 2, there's a scripture that we've, we've all known, we've read for many, many times. Uh, it says that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, I know when I've read that in the past, and when you've read that, you've thought, okay, God has taken these angels and put all these angels in a place where they're getting ready to be judged. But really, we know that's not true because not all the angels are in that place. Just like the, you know, couple of thousand that I was talking about, the legion, and we uh, we know other other demons. We know that demons. Not all. If if all demons were in hell today, the world would be a lot better place, right? But demons are not. All demons are not in hell. So God God is not saying that I put all of these demons in hell. Why would he put some of them in hell for judgment and just let these others go free? These are just kind of like nice, good demons over here, and these are the bad demons down here? No. He says that, you know, that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved, until a time of judgment. And that's exactly what we're reading right now. When he gave this demon a key to the bottomless pit, it was a time of judgment upon the earth as part of this seven-year tribulation period. And God says, here, take the key. Let the rest of these demons out and go do your thing. Go torment men for five months so they can come to a place of repentance. And then again, we go back to, in the same passage of Scripture, he says that, God did not despair the ancient world, the world that sinned, but he saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing a flood on the world of the ungodly. And then the same thing, in the same passage of scripture, it says that he delivered Lot and his, you know, uh, his daughters and uh, his, you know, his family, he delivers them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I need to get you out of here before I bring destruction upon the land. With Noah, he says, I want Noah, your family, your, you know, your wives and your sons uh, and to get into the ark. And God says, I'm going to close the door. And then he closed the door and immediately, you know, well, seven days later, the rain began to fall. And God's saying today, right now this morning, there's an open door for you to come in. There's an open door for you to come in from the wrath of God. There's an open door, and God saying, you know, for that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on to say that God did not send his son to the world to destroy the world or to bring judgment upon the world or to condemn the world, but he came to save this world from the, the judgment and sin and all of the consequences that follow. And I just would ask you this morning, if you'd just stand with me, please, as we close in prayer. God saying that there's an open door for you. We read another place in Revelation where Jesus is saying, I'm knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. And maybe there was something that was spoken this morning that you heard in your heart, just deep, deep, deep in your heart. And you may be thinking, you know, God, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to look you face to face. I may be like those that were crawling in the caves and hiding from the one that sat on the throne and hiding from the lamb that stood by his side. And I would just ask you this morning, are you ready to meet him face to face? Because when you open your eyes, he's either going to be your savior or he's going to be your judge. And I want him to be your savior. Are you sure today? Are you absolutely sure If you draw your last breath and your heart beats its last and your spiritual eyes are open, is he going to be your judge or is he going to be your savior? And he's saying, I want you to come. The invitation is for you today. Will you come? Will you come today? And if you're willing to come, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Are you willing to come today? Are you willing to come? Are you willing to come? Please, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Now, I'm just going to just hold them, please, because count. I'm counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and 8, and 9, and 10, and 11, and 12. Uh, please, you can put your hands down. Those of you that raised your hands, I want you to know, and the Bible says that, you know, after all of those signs and wonders, you would think that. That uh, just like you know Lazarus and and the uh, and the rich man and and the rich man said, Lord, would you just send Lazarus back? Because if they could see some signs and some wonders, if they could see some miracles, then I believe that my brothers who are headed to this place of torment that I'm in right now, I believe that they would come. I believe that they would come to the saving knowledge of you and your son, Jesus. And I just, I'm just i asking you to send Lazarus back. But when we read through Revelation and we read about the seals and when we read about trumpets and we'll read about you know, uh, bowls and cups of wrath to come in, in the next week or so, uh, none of those things, for the most part, did not change the individual's lives. It's not signs and wonders that change our lives. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Not seeing miracles. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. And you have heard the word of God this morning. And those of you that raised your hand, the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And what does that mean? Does that mean you can continue in your sin? No. If you love Jesus, you, won't, you don't want to sin anymore. Your heart is broken. Before I knew Jesus, I could sin as much as I want, as long as I wanted, with whoever I wanted to sin with. And I thought it was, I chalked it up as, you know, a, a trophy. But when I came to Jesus and I sinned, My heart was broken. My heart was grieved because of what I had done. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you won't want to sin anymore. And so, together we're going to say this, okay? For the twelve that raised their hand, and for those that didn't, that want to receive Jesus this morning, we just want to confess That Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, I'm going to count to three. And we're all going to say it. And we're going to say it like we're standing before the throne of God. Before the Son of God. And those millions of other people that have died. And have given their life. Whether in the tribulation or the great tribulation. Or even before. Ready? Jesus Christ is Lord on the count of three. I mean, you, I want to hear. I want heaven to hear it this morning. Okay, all right. One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Love you. If you need prayer, hang out. We we'll have prayer ministers here that'll be willing to pray with you. God bless you and have a great week.